Hello and welcome to episode 126 of our SAP on Azure video podcast. Today is January 12th and together with Robert and Goran, we're here to talk about anything related to SAP and Microsoft. Hello, everyone. Hey. So we already had a lot of sessions on how to set up an SAP system on Azure, how to secure your SAP system, how to do backup and restores, how to integrate SAP with other systems and so on. And now if you if you want to really set up your SAP system in a not only high avail, but also disaster recovery way, then obviously you need to follow some some guidelines, some some best practices. And luckily we have Dennis Padilla joining us today who will talk about some guidelines that were recently published um, on the Microsoft Learn page. But before we take a closer look um, at the document and um, have Dennis walk us through this, let us actually, as always, take a quick look at some of the news from this week. And I do want to start with one um, document that was um, published by Bachmann Bet Oh, I'm, I'm butchering the name here, the, the last name, um, on the CDC connector. So we, we talked about this before in the past, and we had Ulrich Christ on the show who talked about the um, Azure Data Factory um, connector that allows you to connect to the SAP system and, and um, retrieve um, data from the SAP system. And, and here, Bachmann basically um, talks about his experience and how you can use this, how you can connect to this, what is Azure Data Factory. So, so basically a similar look at the whole topic, but um, through his eyes. And I thought that was quite interesting to see that, um, yeah, I mean, we see a lot of customers and partners obviously using um, the new uh, CDC connector. And uh, I, it, it, it's great to see others um, jumping and, and also um, blogging about this as well. Um, as a follow-up to a blog post that I mentioned already um, last week, um, there is a new one on the SAP Business One integration. Um, so, so in this um, um, blog post, basically we, we continue the story on how to get the event from, from Business One and then how you can work with this event data um, in Logic Apps, so, so on the Azure side. So, so basically, here in this in this blog post, it's then outlined how what what you do with the event. So, so you you get the event from SAP Business One. Then, what you do on the Logic App side. So, so how can you actually work with the data? And then, yeah, do some here in in this specific case, he um he he just sends an email uh to yeah to 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 do something with the information. But I think um, when you read through this blog post from Moshe, you you, you can definitely see that um, the, the, the potentials. So, so now you have the connectivity to SAP Business One and with um, the integration into Azure, you can very easily without any additional um, components use this to, to retrieve additional information and then obviously to integrate um, in other scenarios as well. So I know we, we do not talk too often about Business One, but I thought um, obviously there are, I don't know how many 10,000s of customers out there already using SAP or using SAP Business One. And I thought this this was a really nice um, blog post to also show the integration of Business One and with other Azure services. The next one is again a little more uh, to to the ERP system, going back to the um, uh, ERP S for HANA, no, not S for HANA system, but ECC systems. And Goran, you you've uh, found <coughs> yeah, so some new informations. A, a nice blog from <coughs> Gerd from from NetApp. Uh, Basically, he's talking about AZAC uh, SNAP, which exists is, is there. Uh, so, application consistent, enabling application consistent backup of the database and, and supporting HANA and Oracle. On and he is talking about okay, how to use this for, with uh, Azure NetApp to do the backup and or also to do um, a, a scenario like um, a system refresh. <clears throat> so system refresh will basically um, <clears throat> back up the original uh, database, drop the uh, uh, in the productive system, I mean, uh, and restore it actually on on a dev test system. So with the, with the same data, and he is also showing if you go a bit down how um, 
Exactly. So this is interesting picture. Um, I mean, NetApp is using this snapshot technology, which is basically very quick. They don't do any kind of copying of the stuff. They're just freezing the blocks, so to say, and then just continuing with the deltas. And this this enables them basically to very quickly do the uh, snapshot and then also do, um, from snapshot do the, I mean, uh, restore as well. Uh, in, in a quick time, so without the downtime, yeah. And then he's also explaining how to do the restore, uh, how, how to do the refresh, actually, re mm -hmm. refresh as a scenario. So so nice stuff, uh, no downtime, very quick. So, uh, I mean, I mean, this is one of the, yeah, interesting and always useful um, scenarios with, uh, from a customer side. Yeah. yeah. And um, the next one would be, about uh, Microsoft Defender for Linux. So maybe the Windows guys, if they have a uh, Windows clients, they know the Defender is kind of default kind of uh, tool that comes for free. Um, it's actually a, a kind of, it's an antivirus, but also end point detection and response. There is a version for the Linux, an interesting. Mm -hmm. So then Cameron did a nice blog talking about how this can be done with the SAP. Uh, an interesting part is uh, as well that um, he's also mentioning uh, and telling, uh, okay, please uh, do uh, exclude the SAP files from it. And um, this is also what SAP is telling if you go to the uh, next, uh, to the SAP notes as well. So um, they're talking about the HANA appliances where they say, okay, please do uh, exclude um, HANA data and HANA log. And the next blog, uh, next uh, SAP note is generally about the SAP on Linux, telling all, also similar stuff, just more kind of user SAP stuff. And, and then because they are just kind of more or less SAP is neutral, they say we can't test every single uh, antivirus vendor. We do not say yes or no. If you have an issue, they have to be kind of uh, yeah. disabled. Generally, they said they said exclude those SAP files from it. So. I think interesting if the customers are having, I mean, they could use both from Windows and Linux, and I mean, it's the same um, same um, product, so to say. Yeah, mm -hmm. nice But stuff. it's interesting that we really see this now also on Linux. I, I think a few years ago, or, yeah. well, it was always, uh, well, Linux, you don't need to care about vi viruses or antivirus software. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, that was just because it was not so popular, but obviously now with also SAP HANA yes. running, demanding Linux, um, I think there's yeah there there's definitely a th another threat attack vector. I yes, would say. And, and it's uh, not your father's Microsoft, you know, yeah. since years. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. All right. So with this um this time um a little faster than than usual, but um that gives us more time to you, Dennis. Um, yeah. Dennis, for for those of you, I mean, you have been on the show again um, before. Uh, there, um, you you had a really interesting. We had an interesting session on single sign-on, Fiori integration, app gateway. Yeah. Now we're talking about something completely different. So, yeah. for those of our viewers and listeners who have not visited uh, or uh, watched your your previous um, show, maybe you can quickly introduce yourself and then, yeah, let's take a closer look at the documentation. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Holger, and everyone. Like it's uh, it's been great to be back uh, <laughs> in your channel. <laughs> the like uh, uh, I'm Dennis. I'm basically part of uh, engineering uh, team in Azure Specialized in Microsoft that focuses on uh, SAP workload on Azure. So. Uh, um, my role uh, in my team is basically focused. Uh, my focus area is basically uh, to create the reference architecture of uh, SAP workload on Azure with respect to, as you already mentioned, on creating like how the integration of single sign on and Fiori integration happens with application gateway with respect to disaster recovery, uh, uh, high availability business objects, SAP IQ, some of the areas which uh, I worked and I'm working on. And uh, so uh, basically our team focuses on uh, creating all this reference architecture and work on certifying VMs and all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so that being said, so uh, right now, like uh, we have recently published our uh, disaster recovery guidelines for SAP workload on Azure. 
So uh, I will be walking through that in this uh, uh, session. So we will be talking more on deep dive on like what all things needs to be considered, what all things like uh, needs to be additionally evaluated when you are designing your disaster recovery on Azure. So with that being said, let me share my screen. Perfect, yeah. Okay. able to see the screen? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just put fonts a little bit bigger? So 125 uh, will be okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So uh, as many people have already been working on this Azure, so in Azure we have uh, different deployment options like uh, to uh, basically improve the redundancy of SAP workload. So when I say deployment option is like you can uh, deploy your SAP workload in availability set or in availability zone, but uh, this option deploying in availability set availability zone basically provides the redundancy from uh, at the hardware level or at from the uh, zonal level. So when I say zonal, so when uh, in Azure uh, the regions there are regions which consist of one or more availability zones. So, mm -hmm. and this availability zone are basically separated through so uh, via certain distances and have independent power, cooling, and everything. So, uh, earlier before availability zone comes into place, there was only a region where a single region uh, with no availability zone was there. So, at that point of time, customer were asking like how can I improve the redundancy uh, in that particular region from the hardware maintenance and all that stuff. So we introduced the concept of availability set where you're, you will be uh, distributing your VM in different fall domain and update domain. So part of your VMs uh, doesn't get impacted if certain uh, things happens on one of the hardware. Uh, going points, uh, but things has improved and uh, we expanded and we introduced region with availability zones. So now with availability zone, you can distribute your VM across different availability zone and basically uh, 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 basically install your SAP system to improve more, uh, have more redundancy. So this habitability concept basically improves the redundancy from day-to-day -day operations of uh, uh, like uh, from plant maintenance or from something something like uh, uh, a failure in the one of the hardware and all that stuff, but this both option doesn't provide you the guarantee that if something happens on that particular region. So in that particular region, availability zone is basically uh, separated within certain miles or certain kilometers. Okay, but if something happens on that particular region, uh, then uh, uh, you have to make sure that your application survives and your application is available in different in different regions. So in order to make sure that uh, uh, you can achieve that, you need to set up the disaster recovery for your SAP workload. So that's what the, um, uh, this uh, this guideline is all about, like how can you set up the disaster recovery for your SAP workload in general? Uh, so. Uh, as uh, I think most of the folks will be familiar, like disaster uh, recovery concept is new, not new, and it's been there from on-premise. Uh, the principle and concept that has been followed to design the on-premise DR solution that that applies in Azure as well. So it's like uh, there is nothing new, but there are some additional consideration that needs to be uh, evaluated when you are designing a disaster recovery on Azure. Because uh, as Azure being a, a public cloud, there, um, there are regions, there are availability zones, and there are services that basically being offered in Azure. So you need to evaluate all this stuff based on your setup in your primary region. So with that being said, like uh, the idea of like uh, when usually when this disaster recovery is being initiated. So if someone wants to basically protect their application from the wide geographic uh, disaster at that point of time, it's it's not that it's usually disaster recovery is not automated. It's basically yeah. a human call to basically initiate the disaster recovery. And it's not like 
your part of your system is running on the disaster recovery region and some is running on the primary region. It's basically it's not a physical solution. So it's uh, it's a human centric decision on when to in initiate this disaster recovery on what circumstances they need to initiate this disaster recovery. OK, uh, when we're talking about this SAP workload, it doesn't mean that you don't consider your non SAP workload as well, because uh, we are familiar that uh, the business runs on SAP workload, so it is most critical system. But uh, it may happen that your SAP system is integrated to your uh, known SAP application like middleware, where your IDOCs are flowing from your middleware to the SAP system. So in that case, basically, you need to consider that all that SAP, non SAP application as well, as well as some of the basic service with respect to uh, Active Directory, DNS server. So all this systems needs to be evaluated as well that it it is available on your uh, disaster recovery region because okay. just bringing up so, the SAP workload, it may happen that some of the features or some of the end to end process might not be running because of the uh, some other uh, systems are not uh, available on the disaster recovery. Uh, anything and I think, someone was saying? Yeah, sorry, and I just wanted to interject because um, when we look at HA solution or something like that, yeah. they're always automated. Um, I think yes. there, there's never someone who, who, who pulls the trigger or pushes a button to do um, high availability. But for a disaster recovery, I think it's exactly, it's never easy. I mean, doing yes. a disaster recovery has a lot of impact and exactly this um, integration with non-SAP systems or connected systems, let's, let's yeah. call it like that, that's such a big issue because, or that, that's why I think a lot of customers are very careful to say, well, do we really need to do a disaster recovery now? Or, or is there a chance that we will get back up um, again with our system? Yeah. So I think that's why th this whole setup and th the guidelines and the best practices are so important for disaster recovery. Yeah, you got it right, Holger. Yes, that is why, like, uh, because it's a costly affair, like, to initiate disaster recovery in terms of operation, and because you need to fail it back to your primary region as well. So it needs to be calculated. It needs to be evaluated. Like, uh, uh, if some of the services are not available, uh, if it is available within certain duration, then it, it's not useful to switch over the disaster. Uh, initiate the disaster recovery. So all that fundamental needs to be evaluated, but in order to evaluate all that stuff, but you need a, uh, basically end-to-end -end practice, like uh, yeah. because the guidelines that we are mentioning is basically uh, uh, is a generic guidelines, which needs to be evaluated based on what customer has implemented. And they need to basically uh, have that end-to-end -end implementation has basically do a, a test of the disaster entire uh, end-to-end -end disaster mm -hmm. recovery so they are aware and it's always uh, advisable to frequently do that testing of disaster recovery because it's like over the period of time your system changes uh, things changes so that you are aware that your end-to-end -end disaster recovery works in case certain events happens and you have a, that smooth transition to the business and you are not impacted that much and you achieve your RTO and RPO that was been designed for your business. So, uh, uh, so uh, as I mentioned, the uh, fundamentals of this disaster recovery stays the same at uh, the principle and concept as that of an on-premise. Here also we are trying like uh, uh, the business has to identify what what should be their RTO and RPO because in high visibility people usually like from hardware uh, failure and all that people try to achieve the zero RTO and RPO. But for disaster recovery, as you are separating that uh, to a certain distance, it may happen that you uh, there will be certain uh, few, uh, data loss or anything. So you it needs to be evaluated by the business that how much data loss they can basically financially they can uh, accept, okay, and how fast they can recover their system because like as the disaster recovery, you can basically uh, have that end-to-end -end process, but some of the process needs to be automated in order to have that quick. Uh, recovery from your primary region. So uh, you need to define the RP RTO, like how fast you want to recover that and how you will be able to achieve that. So uh, with that uh, being said, like uh, uh, in particular in Azure, uh, we need, uh, there are several factors that needs to be evaluated when, when we say like uh, the first and foremost is with respect to the region selection, because it's like, mm, 
how you want to achieve your uh, disaster recovery in azure basically you can achieve uh, your disaster recovery in a separate region or uh, there are there are cases where customer wants to achieve in uh, a, a metro dr strategy where uh, where they don't have that uh, they don't want uh, as they are coming from the on premise background and they uh, they don't want a higher dis uh, longer distance between the two so they uh, they want a zone to be their disaster recovery for um, their system is running on one zone and they are uh, achieving the disaster recovery on another zone. So when we are talking about the uh, region selections, so uh, for some customers, it's like uh, uh, they have the compliance that uh, the disaster recovery region <laughs> should be at a certain distance. So evaluate like uh, whether like uh, because uh, uh, some of the regions in uh, Azure basically in US region basically it's separated with uh, with thousands of kilometers and all that. So you can you have to make sure that what basically uh, uh, is can be eligible for you based on your compliance uh, of the business. And if you are trying to adopt the Metro DR strategy where uh, you want uh, like a minimum distance where which can be uh, uh, done using a zone as well, you can achieve uh, you can use uh, zone dr but that is not advisable because zone dr basically doesn't provide you that wider uh, mm -hmm. availability if there is like a, uh, a, a catastrophe or a amendment disaster on that particular region uh, all the zones will be down so uh, in order to have that actual dr it, it's advisable to have uh, a separate region which is running at a certain kilometers or certain distance uh, so that you can you are able to basically bring your system in that region, particular region. So uh, in in basically uh, in Azure there is uh, there is a concept of paired regions. So some of the regions are being paired to uh, another region. So now uh, when I say the paired region is like some of the services like uh, Azure Storage, which is available in uh, a GRS uh, like Geo Redundant Storage. Basically, it replicates your storage from the uh, primary region to the paired region, which is basically uh, 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 like suppose um, one of the region is in West US, US East and another in US West. So now this is basically being being a paired region now. Now, as this being a paired region, like uh, when you are using Azure storage, standard storage, it replicates your uh, data from uh, the primary region to the most uh, uh, secondary paired region. But uh, for SAP workload, you need to uh, consider that this paired region will not be uh, 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 advisable uh, always because like uh, some of the services will not be available in paired region like the M series which you are running in your primary region for HANA database might not be available. That particular M series might not be available in that paired region. Suppose Azure NetApp file that is available in your primary region, it may not be available. Azure NetApp file service may not be available in the paired regions. So, so all this thing needs to be considered that uh, certain services and uh, will not be available in the paired region. So it's not always advisable to select the paired region just because like you are able to achieve GRS because the Azure storage uh, standard storage type th that basically replicates this uh, uh, that basically offers this GRS is not used by uh, SAP workload. We basically use managed disk and all that stuff. Azure storage is basically not being used here. So uh, also for Azure backup, so when you are using Azure backup, the uh, the redundancy option that has been default selected is uh, GRS. So if you are having that uh, primary backup in particular region, it is being replicated to the paired region. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, there are services which is being replicated to the paired region, <laughs> but uh, you need to figure out like whether that paired region basically offer the services uh, where um, which which can basically run your SAP workload once the failover happens, because as I mentioned, uh, some of the services might not be uh, available in that paired region. So that is like with respect to the region selections like uh, in Azure, like uh, what all things needs to be considered. And when we go further after selecting the region, then we have to basically see uh, from the networking perspective like uh, um, as uh, our virtual network can can be expanded to uh, uh, to the to the region, 
uh, if the, you are using a different region for your disaster recovery, you have to create separate vir virtual network. Then you are using any uh, application delivery service when I take uh, so application delivery service like load balancer, application gateway and all that. It needs to be created again on the disaster recovery. It cannot be replicated on anything, so it needs to be uh, created again. And when we are talking about the security service with respect to private link and all that stuff, that needs to be created again on the disaster recovery region. So um, with respect to networking, you need to evaluate like if you are using express route to the it's, that has been connected to your primary region, you need to make sure that the, uh, you have uh, uh, again an express route that basically being uh, a second express route is being connected to the disaster recovery region as well. So if there is an issue on one express route, uh, you can basically use another express route as well. Um, Dennis, uh, one, one question. Uh, when you mentioned uh, designing that that on other side and disaster recovery region, I need to actually have the same replica what I have configured on on the on the primary region. So of course this depends of our RTO or how much time I have, but I can actually leverage also infrastructure as a code. So for example, uh, I can prepare Terraform scripts. Yeah. If I have enough time, of course, not for yeah. express yeah. route or something like that, but I can actually construct complete network and everything else. Yes. yes. If I have enough time, so I don't need to create that and and uh, that uh, that I need to pay that on other side. So I can actually build some of that yeah. or maybe most of it uh, in Terraform. So if I need to have some disaster recovery landscapes, oh, I can build it on the fly, so to say. Of course, if I have enough time, if my RTO is big enough. Does yeah. this make sense uh, to go in that direction? Or? So the so basically there are different. This is basically the practice, like how you can basically uh, on the disaster recovery, what all components is required. How you achieve that is basically totally on the customer because some of the customers are very cost centric. They don't want an over provisioning of resources where they are paying it extra, uh, which they are not using it. So they want like uh, for express route. I think uh, it needs to be created. Uh, it, it's basically advised to create beforehand. It's not like uh, to create at that point of time. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, there are some components like Azure virtual network and everything you can create if if you have like a bigger RTO where you can have a day or two to recover the entire landscape. That is something is required. Uh, Terraform is basically create the infrastructure landscape, but you need basically uh, a data available on that disaster. Region yeah, of course, this is just one part. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah. yes. So yes, we have a cost. I will be walking. Through. There is a cost optimization solution for you can use backup restore as well. OK, yeah, so yeah, some yeah. of the like mm -hmm. uh, uh, you can back up your primary uh, uh, like compute or you, virtual machines or your data mm -hmm. on the primary mm -hmm. region and you can recover on the uh, disaster recovery region. But as I as, as you mentioned, like this all basically improves the I mean, it's increase the RTO. Mm -hmm. So uh, so it depends on the customer, uh, like how much RTO they can afford uh, here. Uh, so we are just walking through the different uh, like basically different criteria or different things that needs to be considered how <laughs> basically customer wants to achieve it. They uh, they have freedom to do that basically based on like what's the RTO and RPO they they are able to uh, come across. OK. So uh, going forward, like once, uh, once, uh, like with respect to networking, the component needs to be created on the disaster recovery region. Uh, and when we uh, uh, when we talk about the infrastructure part of compute, like so, things needs to be evaluated with respect to the compute is like uh, some of the SKU size that is available on your primary region might not be available on the mm -hmm. disaster recovery region. So it may happen that your primary region is running on some MCV SKU, but that MCV SKU might not be available on the disaster recovery. You might need to uh, either uh, increase your 
use different M series or anything, or uh, uh, in general, it's not available in on the on that particular region. So you need to figure out like uh, so there is a, a site where you can basically uh, inspect like uh, whether this product or services or whether this uh, family of VM is available on this particular region. So uh, it needs to be done beforehand when once you're trying to figure out which uh, region will be a good fit for your uh, uh, organization. And basically, uh, so uh, once we, uh, yeah, so and uh, with respect to this uh, uh, compute, uh, we I mean, so in Azure, you can use Azure Site Recovery. Basically, that replicates your uh, local disk like the OS disk and the uh, managed disk that has been attached to the disaster recovery. So that will basically, uh, it's more like an uh, 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 automating your uh, replication part where all the disk will be uh, replicated to the disaster recovery because this Azure Site Recovery is a useful tool which replicates your basically the entire OS disk and all that. And on uh, you can basically initiate a failover directly from that Azure portal to so that your system basically based on the OS disk that has been replicated, your uh, VMs will be provisioned on uh, on the disaster recovery region. So uh, now uh, the thing is like the replications of your OS disk managed it doesn't guarantee that the uh, compute will be available at that point of time. So uh, it may happen that uh, you are initiating a disaster recovery for your uh, multiple VMs and now uh, for certain VM types, you are not able to pro get the capacity in that disaster recovery region. So it may happen that the disaster recovery region might not be able to provide a, a, a capacity at that point of time. Uh, so you might need to change the SKU size uh, uh, based on like uh, the availability of the SKU at uh, on the disaster recovery region. Or you can there is a uh, functionality for general purpose if you are using and if you want uh, like if you want a guaranteed capacity like uh, available on the disaster recovery region, you can use a capacity reservation as well because there is a concept of reserved instance on the primary region where you reserve the instance for um, uh, and lock in for certain duration. Uh, but on the disaster recovery region, uh, you, uh, it's not advisable to use because you are not using uh, the instance there. You are just replicating it. But you can basically do a capacity reservation, but uh, capacity reservation basically will introduce a cost to you <coughs> for that particular uh, SKU for which you are reserving the capacity on the disaster recovery region. So for critical system, if you want a guarantee capacity on the disaster recovery region, you make sure that uh, you enable that capacity, you enable that capacity reservation for that particular uh, VMs or SIDs or uh, uh, whatever you are trying to replicate. So that is another uh, another option uh, for database like for from the compute part, as I mentioned, like ASL replicates your local disk. Now, if you are using HANA, you're basically using HANA shared data and log uh, on the primary region and it can be replicated to disaster record, but we don't recommend uh, and we emphasize we don't recommend to use ASR for the disaster recovery. Uh, for the database because it's like there are certain limitation uh, with respect to using ASR because ASR doesn't support the right accelerator which we usually enable for HANA log. Plus there is a limitation of the data churn. So as you are basically uh, uh, as uh, HANA is very uh, load intensive, like so many transactions are happening. Uh, so it will be there will be data churn on that uh, basically on that particular uh, disk. So uh, ASR is not able to cope up with that data churn and uh, able to replicate it. So uh, we don't recommend or we don't advise to use ASR uh, for uh, database. Usually for database, we recommend to use a data replication technology that is offered by uh, the database vendor. That's for HANA. You use you can use uh, HANA system replication for Oracle Data Guard and all that. So that is something you can leverage it, but we uh, don't use ASR for the database uh, uh, OLTP or OLAP database. So also like uh, as many uh, like 
for disaster recovery, many of the customers use a different subscription for uh, uh, for their disaster recovery. Now, if we are using a different subscription, it may happen that the quota in that uh, subscription might be different. So make sure that the quota uh, that is available like uh, uh, is basically covered so that you don't encounter an issue <clears throat> once you try to bring that system over because uh, it may happen that quota will uh, quota request will take some time uh, to make it available. So this this all things needs to be evaluated beforehand. So uh, it's like uh, you need to have that structure well documented end to end DR uh, strategy in place where you have evaluated uh, everything from every angle that uh, uh, that my end to end DR strategy works and it is well documented so that and we advise it to frequently uh, test this so that any changes in this end to end DR uh, strategy is uh, updated and documented again uh, and uh, you can have that um, smooth flow once the initiation take place. So, so um, when you say this, uh, then yeah. it's a testing in uh, and testing also about the um, DR testing, so to say. Yeah. Would you, I mean, you can't, I believe you can't execute the DR test on a process, well, without uh, in, in a kind of shadow mode, you know, so to say to leave, leave the I believe to leave the prod system up and running and do a fake test on the DR site. Yeah, so from from the from the fact that I mean, you use the database to replicate it and then I believe you can't create the isolated environment, right? Um, so if yeah. this is the case, then I guess probably a, a good way would be to have a dev test systems for, for this purpose, which are kind of replica uh, of, of a prod system and use them also for the for the DR uh, rehearsal, so to say. I think for dev and QA systems, I won't emphasize on because some of the customers basically uh, practice to have that DR strategy uh, to at least test once a year or something so that they uh, they are aware that entire end-to-end -end, uh, things are yeah. working because like dev and QA are basically will not be in the high availability environment, but uh, on production, uh, your entire system is on high availability environment and yeah. there are certain services and business process that are not been integrated on your uh, on your non-production environment it's only running on the production environment so that you won't be getting a, a, a end to end holistic means uh, 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 view or uh, detail on how your end to end dr will look like so it's it's advice like uh, uh, at least to perform it uh, on the uh, on the production region like based mm -hmm. on like uh, like I, I cannot say like once you set up the uh, DR uh, replication and everything and you basically initiate after five years or something, it may happen something might uh, might not be working because things have changed on the primary region, things have you have changed certain services and all that stuff. So you need to basically figure out like uh, what will be the good uh, uh, planning rate on testing all this uh, on DR scenarios like uh, some of the customers do once a year so that they are aware that uh, all of the things are working and it will basically uh, help you refine your RT and RPO okay uh, over the period of time on like if initially you are going with the RTR of 10 hours or something now, uh, if your testing is regularly and all that, and you will get an idea on how you can minimize this RTO, there are, what are the certain areas where you can basically automate much further and uh, basically decrease your RTO. So that way you can basically achieve a, a, a lower RTO as well uh, uh, based on uh, the testing. So it, my recommendation is like to have, uh, like it's advice to have, uh, uh, to schedule or to have that end-to-end just -end for the production landscape. So uh, at least for months after certain duration. <clears throat> so months uh, and uh, when we talk months after we like once we uh, consider all this compute areas like uh, with respect to VM availability, with respect to uh, like quotas and all that stuff. 
then what we use basically uh, what is the most significant thing is the storage that we use for the SAP workload. Storage basically plays a very vital role here uh, because like there are different storage options that are available on Azure and uh, there are multiple reference architecture that are supported on different storage areas. So you need to make sure that uh, you uh, you achieve the uh, disaster recovery for that particular storage uh, as well, uh, because this is one of the storage is considered to be one of the a single point of failure as well. When we talk about the infrastructure redundancy, so now uh, as I mentioned, like uh, uh, for Azure storage uh, uh, standard storage, you have a GRS option available that basically replicates your data uh, on the pad region. But Azure uh, standard storage, we we basically don't use for our SAP workload. We use Azure Premium Managed Disk. Uh, we use uh, NFS on Azure files. We use Azure NetApp files. Azure shared shared disk. Things like that. Uh, uh, Azure Site Recovery basically replicates your um, uh, managed disk, um, managed premium disk. So uh, you don't have to do anything additional. Uh, once you enable the for that particular VM, uh, all the disk that has been attached, local disk that has been attached on that VM, you can enable using ASR and that is replicated on the disaster recovery region. But for the shared uh, uh, file system like with respect to Azure NetApp files and or Azure uh, NFS on Azure files or SMB on Azure files or or Azure shared desk. You need to make sure that this all this uh, shared mount points are available. Shared disk are available are replicated on the disaster recovery uh, region because uh, the replication of this um, uh, this storage are different because if we talk about uh, Azure NetApp files, you can use cross region replication to replicate your uh, uh, replicate data from the primary to the disaster recovery region. Uh, it's no, it doesn't work like GRS. You need to basically enable the uh, uh, replication and and you need to remount the Azure NetApp file volumes on the disaster recovery region once you initiate the failover. Uh, for uh, NFS on Azure files or as, uh, SMB on Azure files, you need to use uh, a different time mechanism like to copy like for uh, NFS on Azure files, you can use rsync uh, to copy your data from primary to the disaster recovery. So you need to provision a secondary uh, NFS on Azure files uh, on the disaster recovery region. Uh, if you are using SMB on Azure file for Windows, uh, then basically you need to provision uh, uh, additional SMB on Azure file and replicates the storage using RoboCopy from the primary region to the uh, uh, to the disaster recovery region. Uh, so you need to evaluate based on the storage uh, what should be the ideal way to replicate the data from your primary region to the uh, disaster recovery region. So. That is something which we uh, we have uh, uh, mentioned here. So uh, this is basically what I have discussed is this basically formed from the infrastructure redundancy. So I have just touched upon the infrastructure redundancy. It doesn't cover like uh, like this. All things are works fine. OK, I have replicated everything local disk uh, 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 shared volumes and everything. I, I have created uh, load balancer and everything on the prime on the secondary region. Now I'm trying to bring the uh, I'm initiating the failover on the disaster recovery region with the local disk that has been replicated. I will be able to bring that VM up, but uh, the thing is like my app servers won't be uh, running out of the box because there are certain changes at I need to uh, do at the application layer as well. So uh, that is something which uh, I, which has been basically documented on the second part of that, where we we are focusing on what all things needs to be considered at the app layer in order mm -hmm. to make sure that your application is running, SAP workload application is running on the disaster recovery, and what are the additional steps that needs to be considered uh, that needs to be done in order to make sure that your applications are running fine. Uh, as I mentioned, like we are just uh, this is basically focused only on the SAP workload. It doesn't focuses on on the uh, other known SAP components. So you need to make sure based on like what is the advice uh, uh, practice for uh, for the DR for different uh, non SAP component. You adopt that and make sure that that also been uh, taken care of. 
in order for like uh, for SAP application, there are certain service that uh, some of the prerequisites like DNS server, AD and all that stuff. Some of the pre uh, some of the services uh, needs to be available before the SAP services uh, can be started or something or servers can be started. So make sure that your AD and DNS servers are uh, available on the disaster recovery region. Uh, now, when we talk about like SAP workload, so there are different components when we talk like uh, 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 like SAP central, like typically uh, most of the uh, products that are running uh, it has a SAP NetWeaver Foundation. Okay, uh, then there are components which uh, which are basically SAP Business Object or SAP Hybris or which are basically a different SAP component that ha that are not running on the NetWeaver part. So now when we focus on most of the SAP NetWeaver component, then there are certain uh, layers like uh, central service, application server and database layer. So now uh, uh, these are the basically from the SAP component perspective. Now there is an additional SAP web dispatcher as well. So if you are using all this component, you need to make sure that each layer of this uh, single SAP systems are available on the disaster recovery region. Uh, as I mentioned from the infrastructure perspective on where this application or these layers are running, how you can basically achieve it using ASR and uh, uh, backup restore. But the thing is like uh, after uh, setting up the ASR, once you initiate the failover, what all things needs additionally needs to be done on this layers uh, needs to be uh, uh, analyzed and documented like uh, uh, so uh, if we are using, uh, so let's talk about SAP central services. So when we talk about SAP central services, then uh, mostly the primary in primary region, the SAP uh, like uh, to achieve the redundancy from the hardware failure or anything, uh, the high availability is usually being set up or is being adopted by uh, the customer. So uh, your SAP central services will be set up in a high availability environment where your AACS and ERS are running. So if you want a similar configuration on the disaster recovery region where you have an uh, where you want an HA uh, setup on the disaster recovery region as well, then there is a uh, uh, then you you need to focus on certain areas because central services are running like let's take uh, an example of Linux. So SAP central services uh, HA is been achieved using a pacemaker cluster which automates the failover your, of your uh, of your SAP AACS instance. Now when we talk about like with respect to uh, the SAP central service for SAP, uh, Linux uh, for the pacemaker, uh, the pacemaker needs uh, a stone mechanism, fencing mechanism. So the, that fencing mechanism uh, uh, is being offered in for Linux and Azure is being offered using different uh, uh, different option you can use using SBD mechanism or you can use uh, Azure Fence Agent. Uh, the setup gets uh, simplified when you are using Azure Fence Agent because it's a, a global service that has been uh, basically the uh, apps that uh, that has been configured at the tenant level. So you just need to give permission on the uh, on the disaster recovery region and uh, there are very little basically if you are using managed identity uh, uh, for your uh, fence agent uh, managed system identity then then that needs to be enabled on the disaster recovery region once the vm is uh, 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 is running on the disaster after the failover once the vm is running so managed system identity needs to be enabled and that uh, you need to basically give im roles and all that stuff so your Azure Fence Agent can be configured uh, using that. But if you are using SBT device using iSCSI target server, then basically you need to perform some additional configuration because that iSCSI target server also needs to be replicated on the disaster recovery region. So I have written a blog on that uh, with respect to how you can achieve this uh, uh, for this setup, how you can achieve basically uh, if you're using iSCSI target server, how you can basically replicate it and uh, and achieve the disaster recovery and have that HA set up on the disaster recovery uh, region. You can basically check that. We have also a blog from Anjan who, uh, who basically talks about like uh, uh, when you are using Azure Fence Agent, how you can basically achieve the disaster recovery when you are using Azure Fence Agent as a fencing mechanism. Uh, 
so uh, and as we have uh, Azure Shared Disk as one of the SBT devices, you can use Azure Shared Disk as uh, as an SBT device as well for your uh, fencing mechanism. So now. Uh, Azure Shared Disk is only available in four regions right now, so you need to make sure that Azure Shared Disk is available on the disaster recovery region as well if you're using on the primary region. Okay, uh, we don't advise that to change the fencing mechanism uh, 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 on the disaster recovery mm -hmm. after the failover, like if we're using uh, Azure Fence Agent, we don't uh, like uh, uh, recommend to use basically Azure Shared Disk SBD on the disaster recovery because it needs to be tested, evaluated, and you don't have time for it to do, to do the testing and all that uh, scenarios on the disaster at the time of failover. So we don't advise to do uh, to change the stone mechanism, the fencing mechanism on the disaster recovery uh, site. Now, uh, now all this SAP MNT mount point or USR SAP uh, file systems are uh, are running on this shared directory. That might be uh, an Azure Native files or that might be Azure files, NFS on Azure files. Now this all files needs to be uh, uh, replicated or data needs to be copied from the primary to the uh, secondary region. So as I mentioned that there are different mechanism to achieve that. Like for NFS on Azure file, you can <coughs> use rsync or if you are using uh, Azure Native file, you basically use uh, a cross-region replication. Uh, uh, so that way you can achieve that. But uh, uh, as uh, as mentioned, once you initiate the failover on on the DR uh, DR site, like the VM is available as the local disk is being replicated. You need to change the mount points of all this shared directory because it it is a separate mount point because you need to provision a different uh, storage uh, of NFS on Azure file or a different Azure Native files on the disaster recovery region, so its mount point will be different. So you need to basically uh, uh, remount or you need to make an entry in the uh, in your or change the configuration on your. Uh, on, on in the pacemaker, so we have a resource defined for this file system, which is a shared file system. So you need to update this resources as well as the load balancer. As I mentioned, the application service delivery uh, networking like uh, load balancer needs to be recreated into the primary region. So uh, 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 as as Robert mentioned, like this all can be automated uh, using Terraform. This all can be created and all that. So it's on the customer whether they need to pre-provision it uh, uh, earlier uh, or they need to uh, do it you like uh, create it during the initial uh, uh, when they initiate the failover. So you can create the Azure load balancer and all that stuff. So infrastructure can be created using this uh, Terraform, but you need to make sure that uh, all this thing is updated at the uh, application layer or at the cluster mm -hmm. uh, uh, cluster layer as well, because uh, in corosync.com file, uh, your IP address are mentioned, which will be pointing to the primary region IP address, and the IP address might be changing in the disaster recovery region. So you need to update that as well. So all this. Uh, from all this angle, from the application perspective, we have mentioned like what all things needs to be evaluated right, in our yeah. blog, and we have highlighted that. Uh, anything? So no, keep great. it simple, uh, I would say. Keep it simple. Use the Azure Fencing Agent, you know, so why not? Uh, um, so even if you use Azure Fencing Agent, there are some uh, certain things that needs to be because that only covers the fencing part. OK, but now you you need still update the load balancer uh, resource services because yeah. that will be a separate one. Uh, the Azure uh, like uh, the port probe, you need to basically update the file system resources and all that. You need to update your corosync.com file. So all this thing, even with the Azure Fence Agent, that needs to be changed. OK, but the only thing uh, uh, simplified with respect to Azure Fence Agent that you don't have to replicate your basically your entire SBD uh, iSCSI target server on the disaster recovery region uh, because Azure Fence Agent is a global service that has been defined at the tenant level. So you just need to provide the roles and uh, manage identity and need to enable manage identity and all that. But additional resource changes needs to be done even in the Azure Fence Agent part as well. But I think it's it's really fantastic that you have documented all these different options um, in in the guide, so that customers can really take a look at how do I protect from an infrastructure point of view, and how do I also protect, or what do I need to do from an from an SAP application 
um, yes. level. So I think that that's definitely a very good guide. Yeah. So uh, this basically covers the SAP central service. Uh, we have a detailed blog on that, and that would be very much helpful for uh, to the customers, like how they can basically achieve that. And now when we talk about the application uh, application servers, then uh, application server usually like uh, usually might be using Azure shipments, uh, SAP MNT and all that, which is uh, shared disk, which is already be taken care when you are uh, designing for central services and all that stuff. If you're using any uh, like for USR SAP trans, if you're using it, uh, you need to follow the same steps on how they can you it can be replicated. <laughs> Or if we are using a shared disk, uh, means a, a shared file system for your uh, uh, business data, um, then basically that needs to be replicated as well. Uh, also, means if you are using for application server, most of like your uh, uh, your instance are running on the local disk, so you can use Azure mm -hmm. Site Recovery to replicate it and basically uh, make it available on that. But uh, uh, all this thing needs to be uh, configured and all the as the IP address will be changed or something. Uh, uh, you need to update that all that uh, IP address and everything in the DNS and all that stuff. So make sure that uh, 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 the IP address are, uh, are being updated in DNS if you are if it is getting changed and all that. Now when we talk about uh, 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 one layer below the database server. So for the database, as we don't uh, recommend to use Azure Site Recovery, the uh, another approach is to have uh, a database created on the disaster recovery database server created on the disaster recovery uh, site. Like if we talk about HANA, so deploy uh, a HANA database on the DR site and establish a system replication from your primary. So it can be a multi-tier or multi-target based on uh, which you find suitable for your uh, your business. Uh, if you want a similar kind of HA uh, setup even on the disaster recovery region, like if you want uh, a two set of uh, HANA database, uh, once the initiate, like uh, once the failover happens on the disaster recovery region, that will act as the primary region. And then you want a secondary region on the disaster recovery region as well. Then you can basically achieve that. You can install the separate one. And if you want that automated failover and all that stuff, you can establish, uh, uh, you can set up that as well. Uh, so, But it will be much more costlier. Uh, because running this HANA database on, on disaster recovery, which doesn't provide any like it will be running and but uh, is not being used by the business. So based on the business requirement, whether uh, you want a similar kind of HN setup on that or not, uh, you evaluate it. But uh, I think multi-tier or multi-target uh, approach for disaster recovery can basically uh, help you to achieve your uh, uh, database recovery on the disaster recovery region. So uh, we have certain guidelines for all the uh, database that has been used for SAP workload. So uh, check out that particular guidelines. Uh, mm -hmm. And then when we talk about like uh, uh, for a web dispatcher, so if you want the web dispatcher, something uh, similar web uh, to be available on the disaster record, you can basically, if it is running on an HA environment, just like central service, follow the same guidelines because uh, the setup of SAP Web Dispatcher running on Linux uh, uh, is similar to what you set up for SAP Central Services. So if your SAP Web Dispatcher is basically running as an in independent component on a separate server, so similar guidelines needs to be followed for SAP Web Dispatcher. Uh, if you are using a single web dispatcher, which no HA or parallel web dispatcher uh, on your primary region, just use uh, ASR to replicate your both of that uh, to the disaster recovery region or a sing, uh, or you want to replicate only a single web dispatcher to the disaster recovery region. You can do that using ASR. So that that is all all possible. Now, now when we talk about the uh, business object and uh, things like that, a business object like uh, you can basically use uh, Azure Site Recovery to <clears throat> replicate your uh, because business object uh, instance is installed on the local disk. So you can use ASR to replicate that uh, instance to the disaster recovery region. But if you are using uh, input file repository or output file repository uh, of your business object on uh, uh, on your Azure Native files or uh, Azure files, 
uh, or SMB files, uh, then basically you need to make sure that that is being replicated <laughs> and it's been uh, updated once the failover happens of the business object. So uh, as you said, Rikori, basically uh, streamline and smoothens the uh, uh, replication part of uh, your uh, VM. But uh, for database, you can use the uh, vendor technology on how the replication for the database can be done. Uh, this is basically uh, 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 like uh, for database, it's basic having that separate server created and all that stuff might be costly for some customer. So uh, for cost optimization, you can use a backup restore uh, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a second option. So with respect to backup restore, what that uh, what can be done is like you can use Azure backup services, but the Azure backup services, the redundancy option in Azure backup services, which replicates your data from the prime primary to the secondary region, it's done in the paired region as only. So if you are selecting a non-paired region, then basically it's a problem uh, where where the data uh, the data is not replicated into the uh, uh, into the non-paired region. So you need to basically uh, copy the data uh, data from that uh, primary region to the secondary region. Uh, so make sure that uh, based on like uh, uh, which region you select, uh, you adopt. Uh, definite practice on how uh, the recovery can happen. But yes, uh, backup restore basically is uh, is second option that can be done. Uh, it might be uh, a cost optimized, but that basically increase the RT of your uh, uh, of your system uh, SAP workload. So. So that's like uh, that's pretty much uh, it that we have covered. So now uh, uh, whether like this is basically what all things needs to be considered. So now uh, uh, if customer wants to automate uh, the infrastructure part using Terraform and all that, that they can do it. Uh, or if they want to uh, create it uh, uh, beforehand, they can do it. But uh, it's advised that all the end-to-end -end testing are documented and everything is uh, checked because uh, you need to make sure that your the process that is running on the primary region similarly uh, same process is running on the, your disaster recovery region without any issue. So uh, uh, in order to achieve that, you need to make sure that your end-to-end -end DR uh, strategy is working fine, and that can only be said once you uh, test it and once you frequently do it and update your documents so that uh, uh, operation team is aware on how things can work. And there are different ways to achieve, uh, like to set up this disaster recovery. There are different practices to achieve this disaster recovery, like how the setup can be. Like for some customers, they, they use um, like uh, uh, non-production environment on the disaster recovery region and production mm -hmm. on the another region. <clears throat> so, um, so with uh, the advantage of that is like basically uh, uh, from the operation perspective, people are aware that what all services that all the services are available on both the region because your non-production environment also will be using the similar services like Azure Netter files or NFS on Azure files or anything like that. So you are aware that both of this, uh, both of the services are available on both region. How from the operation team perspective, they are aware on how to provision, how to work on that region. You have selected already selected the uh, minimum distance zones if in the both the regions. Uh, so all that prerequisites are already be taken and people are uh, familiar on like uh, how, uh, uh, like uh, with both the regions. So uh, it makes the transition smooth and it, uh, they are familiar with uh, challenges and everything. So, what, so this what is I, one. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. So what, what, what I always am, am reminded there is um, we, we had a session with Hans Reuter some, some time back um, where, where he talked about how Microsoft IT is doing that. And he explicitly also highlighted exactly what you just said. So you need to be very, very familiar with this process. So that's why um, you, you fail over. I think Microsoft IT fails over, I think, twice a year or something like that. And then it runs also on the DR region to really make sure that all the services yes. are still running. And that, that not only validates exactly what you said, that all these services are there in the DR, but they also practice um, yeah. all the scenarios. Yes, yes. So yeah. I think... 
Dennis, also also looking a little at the time, um, yeah. I, I think um, you, you covered a lot of topics already. And I think yes. when, when I looked at the document, it's, it's really great to see all these different services, all these different um, functionalities um, and, and the different options. Mm -hmm. I think you also mm -hmm. said um, it really depends on the customer scenario, like what do they need and, and what, what um, scenarios are they familiar with? So I think that is a very, very com comprehensive um, guide that outlines um, what you need to do to set up a good disaster recovery setup. Yeah, yeah that's that's our uh, agenda, like to provide uh, basically uh, 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 guidelines on different parts on how uh, different component that needs to be taken care of with respect to SAP workload, because over the years we have different solutions, different reference architecture for SAP workload now, and uh, and it it. it uh, like uh, uh, everything was in like bits and pieces in different areas. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so Outs. we tried to consolidate in everything into a single uh, uh, in, in this uh, document section where people can find relevant information. And we will keep on updating all this uh, thing uh, in this uh, section, all the technical details and everything. Fantastic. And I mean, just maybe as, as a, a final example here, the like what, what we see here at the moment, the SAP database service, that you have all the um, documentation. So first of all, it says, yeah, you need to consider SAP database service, and then you list out all the different options that are available, and I can just drill down. So I think this is really, really helpful. Yes. Cool, Dennis. Thank you yep. so much for all the insights. Um, I think that was really, really helpful. And uh, it's clearly that you that you put a lot of effort and a lot of time in, in creating this document. So thank you so much for that. And um, I'm sure this will be extremely helpful for our customers. Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. Yep. Good. Then thank you so much. Have a nice day and we'll talk again soon. You, you too. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye.